Tonight, if you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1 tonight, uh, verse 1, the first of a series of probably 25 or so messages here in the book of Revelation as we cover it chapter and verse, yot and tittle, line by line, precept on precept. And what a glorious time for us to imbibe in the Word. Amen? Amen. This book has very often been described by many as a book that's hard to understand. And I really don't believe that that's actually the case. But I will tell you, growing up in the Baptist church, uh, I never actually heard a message taught out of the book of Revelation, save Revelation 3.20. Amen? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It, it, it was just simply never taught on. And very often the book of Revelation is perceived that way uh, because of the extensive use of symbols and because of the things that are in it that seem to be difficult to understand. But in our introduction tonight, uh, just a single verse... And as D.L. Moody rightly said, if God didn't wish us to understand the book of Revelation, he would have never given it to us at all. Amen? So there is a message in it, and it promises a blessing for those who read it, those who hear it, and those who obey it. And so it is a promising book. It is a powerful book. And it is a book from which we will surely grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because it is, in fact, a revelation of Him. It's His book. Very often when we look at this book, we look from the perspective that we're almost trying to find out something strange or odd or weird or unusual. And though there are things in it that we certainly could put in that category Uh, of strange to us even in our modern day and time that would have been very strange to the apostle john uh, as he was imprisoned there on the island of patmos off the coast of modern day turkey it would have been very strange to him but as we now have reached out towards the end of the age of grace i believe that we will see that our redeemer draws near amen Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time tonight, and we ask and we also invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. You are the author of Scripture. You're the interpreter of Scripture. And so we pray tonight that our lives would be transformed, our minds would be renewed, that you would speak to us through the power of your word as we study this amazing book together. Uh, Would you begin even tonight in the simple introduction to instruct us, Lord, from heaven. We give you the time. You authored it. You knew each of us that would be here, and we pray that you would speak, Lord, loudly and clearly, and we, your servants, would simply hear. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verse 1 here in Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Please underline that. It does much for the rest of the book. It is very simply the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the book of revelations. Uh, When people use that phrase, 
Uh, It is actually a misnomer that started back slightly before the time of the Reformation because it was deemed so difficult to understand that the revelations came. And so as the revelations came, you could kind of understand it. No, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is he who is the author of this great work. It is he who this great work is about, and it is he who will be revealed. It is he who will be unveiled. The word revelation comes from a Greek word. Most of you know it. It is the Greek word apocalypsis. And it simply means to unveil or to uh, reveal that which is hidden or concealed. And so it's very understandable that maybe in that day and time, when people first read this letter as it was delivered to the churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches that we will discuss and study one at a time, as they saw that message come forth, they would have probably looked at it and go, man, what is this woman on a beast thing? Well, what's going on with standing on the moon? This is kind of bizarre. This is a little bit weird. It's kind of not something that we quite get. But it is the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so what we see in this book will reveal to us Jesus, past, present, and future. belongs to a class of writings, biblical writings, known as those that are apocalyptic. And so when you look at this, it belongs uh, alone in the New Testament. But it is one of several in the Old Testament. Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah are types of apocalyptic writing. And because things in them, remember Daniel chapter 9, it's revealing the coming of the king, amen? You, You see these things that we read in those books were not yet revealed, but would be revealed as time unfolds before us. And that time we all know in a very specific way. It's called the church age. It's called the age of grace. And so from the time that John writes until the second coming of the Lord, we're in this period of time that is, at this date and time, nearly 2,000 years. Amen? And so during that time, as they would have began in... A.D. more than likely 94 to 96. At that period of time, these things would have been really concealed. Amen? They would have been very hidden. But now that we've had an opportunity to watch the Lord work throughout time and we can look at history, all of a sudden these things to us, wow, that looks a whole bunch like the period of the Reformation. That looks a whole bunch like the period of persecution. These periods of time now have been unveiled for us. And so we can see, in hindsight, what was being spoken to us by the Lord about his age, the age of grace. There's extensive use of very timeless symbols in this book. And we'll get to why that is so in just a little bit. But God's people are seen as suffering unjustly. Are God's people still suffering unjustly? Amen? So what was true then, though it was true in a different sense, is also still true today, 2,000 years later, isn't it? So what was written about the church that John could have visibly seen is still true about the church in the world today. And so we don't look at it as purely historical. 
we look at it as also a prominent way for us to understand exactly what the church in some places in the world is going through right now, right here. Very important to understand this. Those future events that have been yet to unfold, because we saw what happened during the period of persecution that was in John's era, because we saw what happened to the church at Thyatira and the church at Sardis, those groups of people who lived out their lives in a way that absolutely is explained in the book of Revelation. We can look at it and go, wow, that happened. We then also know what is still yet future with 100% certainty will also come true. People often look at the book of Revelation and they say, well, you know, it's just kind of theoretical. It's not theoretical at all. It's not hypothetical. It is truth and it is actual. And what it says will come to pass as surely as we sit here tonight. The contents, of course, in some cases are future. They're what we call eschatological. Your eschatology, your view of things of the end times, the last days, the final days of the age of grace. You see, we're going to see here that what is said is these things will come soon or they'll come quickly. Now we look at that and we go, eh, you know, quickly, what are you talking about? Notice what it says, which God gave to him, gave to John, to show his servants these things which must shortly take place. And he sent and he signified it to and by his angel to his servant John. Now when we think of quickly, you and I think of quickly when we go to in and out Amen? Quickly is, my fries took 11 seconds longer than I thought they should. Quickly is, you go into Green Burrito, they fold it up, and you wonder, you know, what reform school did you graduate from? Because they're not doing it as fast as you think someone ought to. You see, quickly to us, in our day and time, as we look at it, to us it's relative to our understanding in our cultural context. But this is written and authored by the Holy Spirit, through John, who is writing now because an angel speaks these things to him, and when he says quickly, it's quickly in light of eternity. And, you know, a couple thousand years is fairly short in light of eternity, amen? Blip on the radar screen of life, isn't it? You know, as we sit here and we talk about things in our future, uh, many times the reason that you ladies oftentimes don't like the book of Revelation because it talks about things that, like, well, I'm not going to see my grandkids? Maybe not. That is possible. If you truly believe what it says, and if you read what the rest of Scripture says about the last days, in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we could all be gone. Amen? So it kind of throws a monkey wrench into our earthly plans, doesn't it? Because quick coming in eternity is like that. It is the blink of an eye. It's short. That's why James told us that our lives in their substance are like a vapor, amen? So when you think of vapor, you think, you know, we get the fog that comes, the June gloom. It's nearly here. And you drive, it seems like it's impenetrable, right? You get out in the morning and you can't even find your car in the driveway. It's like the fog has settled in. But the amount of water that's actually in that vapor that creates that fog is minuscule. It basically is non-existent. 
It just simply looks that way. The same is true about our lives, the brevity of them. The same is true from the gospel's perspective, from this author John, as he writes. He's writing about eternal things. And so they are quick. And they also are referring to their timing once they begin. You see, things come quickly according to the timing from which they start. And so if you're looking at it from 2,000 years ago, it seems like it's a little slow. But if you're looking at it from the rapture of the church to the very last day in the Battle of Armageddon, it is going to be horrifically quick. Just like that. And so he says these things will soon be coming. When we look at the authorship of this book, and it's, it's sometimes contested as to who actually wrote it, even though it plainly states that John did. There's no reason to believe that he didn't. And in fact, Justin Martyr, who uh, was a disciple of Polycarp, who obviously himself was a disciple uh, of John, uh, gave credit for this just less than 50 years after this book was authored. And so it is very, very likely that, in fact, it was John. I believe it was. The Bible says it was. And so uh, we believe that John wrote this. And the reason that people often debate this issue is the grammar that's used in here. Now, bear in mind that John is imprisoned on the island of Patmos. This is not the wonderful vacation island that it is today. Okay, This is a very rocky and barren Uh, Greek island in the Aegean Sea. And so as he's there, he's in a cave, he's not exactly sitting there with a word processor, amen? Uh, Honey, could you help me? I need to spell check this. That wasn't going on. He, He couldn't go to Blue Letter Bible and pull up stuff on the internet. He wasn't looking, you know, wow, I hope I farged that Greek verb correctly, you know, I just don't know. So there are things that are that are in the syntax of the conversations that he's having with the angel that appear to be, man, it's kind of not John-like. But he's writing in a cave. He's using candlelight. And so I believe it's not only uh, true that he wrote it, that it actually helps us to understand that it was not forged. Because if it was forged, it would be perfect. Uh, it would be exact. There wouldn't be anything in it that you could go, oh, that just, you know, it doesn't sound like somebody that's under duress that's living in a cave someplace on a barren Greek island. And so when we date a revelation, we also look at some things internally that we can say, well, what was going on at the time? How could we help understand? Okay, it appears that John uh, died sometime uh, very near the end of the first century. And so if he wrote it, he would have had to finish it before he was dead. Amen? Generally, you, you do that unless you have a ghostwriter that finishes the thing after you, which uh, I, I don't think that happened. Uh, but the time of the, the three most prominent emperors of that time, and there were three of them, Nero was the one that we first see, and he came along in the middle 60s A.D., Uh, Then Domitian was the emperor directly after him in 84 to 96. And then Trajan was the last. And if you have been, how many of you get National Geographic or the National Geographic Channel? Oh, we're going to have to convert you guys. It's a great way to get things to laugh about, okay? So, uh, no, I'm serious. I I very often read things just to see what the world's saying about these things. If If you look in last month's issue, there's actually a uh, an article in there about Trajan's Tower. And it's this long tower, and it has a, a, a cyclical uh, pattern of uh, relief 
cuttings that are all the way around, go all the way to the top, it's about 136 feet tall, and there are some 2,000 different people that are depicted on that, and it shows his wars. And so we kind of know what was going on in that part of the world. The Romans were very good at keeping history, and so that time period has been very well described to us. And so we can look back on it, and it fits almost perfectly uh, with Domitian's reign because we know exactly what Trajan did. And Trajan seems to be a little bit out of character for this particular uh, style of writing and for what is going on in the world that we're going to see. John is told, write down what you have seen. Very important that you remember that as we get into this book. This is a man who actually saw some of these things happen. So this is an eyewitness account very much, very much like the Gospels. The Gospels were eyewitness accounts of people who were actually there at the event. So when they write about the crucifixion, it's because they were there. And so the same is true uh, in this sense about what John saw. And so many of the things that we will see, especially in the seven churches, were eyewitness accounts of what was going on during that period of time. Very important to look at it because then when you have a body of work, such as the book of Revelation, when you begin to study it, if you look at the things that were seen and you look at the things which will be and you look at the things then which will come and all of the things which were seen were true, amen, and all of the things which were supposed to come You start to unfold all these things. Wow, that period of church history actually happened. As did this one, these seven churches, which are types uh, of the the various pieces of the church age throughout time. And you get down to this last church, this church at Laodicea. And it says that that church was lukewarm. It was neither hot nor it was cold. It it was kind of in the middle someplace, so much so that the Lord said... I would rather that you were hot or cold, but because you are neither, I will spew you out of my mouth. If that doesn't describe the church in the world right now, today, I don't know what does. Look at the church. Most churches are hot or they're cold or somewhere in between. And depending on which week you go there, you will not know what you're going to find. One week they're for the inerrancy of Scripture. The next week they're not for the inerrancy of Scripture. One week they're preaching Christ crucified. The next week it's, uh, you know, come worship with Uncle Bob. We we don't know. We, We see all these strange things going on in the church. And the church no longer stands for anything. So when we see the church that John saw... And it was described accurately. And we see the church that followed the church that John saw, and that's described accurately. And we see the church of the Middle Ages, and we see the papal church described accurately. And when we look at these churches, we go, man, there's only one left. I'm pretty sure that what is said about that church, like all of the rest, will come to pass. And so, as these things are written, they carry forth a very specific theme. We're going to see that there are seven churches that are written to in Asia Minor, and these are literal churches. There are churches that you could have gone and visited, and they were all, in essence, the work of the Apostle Paul. The church at Ephesus was kind of like the the mother church of those churches in, in, in Asia Minor. 
And so from Ephesus, you see these other churches, Sardis and Thyatira and Philadelphia, Laodicea, all these churches, modern-day Turkey today. We'll look at each one of those and how it played out over time that as God spoke these things, we're going, man, look at this. There is an exhortation here. There's a purpose here to this book. And really it's this. It's to listen up. It is to look up. And it's to shape up. Because as we hear the word of the Lord, and we look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, amen? We're not here tonight because of me, amen? Or this church, or any Pastor Steve, or Gail, or anybody else. We're here because of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Okay, that's why we're here. If we're looking up to him, if we're giving him the place in our lives that he ought to have, then as we see him, it's going to cause us to shape up because our Redeemer draws near. Amen? So what happens? It is supposed to do something in our lives. Too many Christians walk on this earth today who do nothing with the great salvation that they've received. And it is to those people this book is actually really written. It's saying, look, how long are you going to play around? How long are you going to mess around? What are you going to do with what you have? You see, because time is running out. The clock is running. Look at the nation Israel. How much longer do you think the Lord's going to tarry? Look at the world in which we live. How much longer do you think the Lord will tarry? Listen up. Look up. Shape up. Because Jesus is coming soon. This message is a, a message of victory. And don't forget that. This isn't, a, this isn't one of those books you just like, you read it and you go home and it's like, oh man, what do I do now? This is a book that when you read it and you hear what it has to say, you go, man, I need to go get busy about my father's business. Amen? Amen? Anybody in here got unsaved family? Anybody in here have unsaved co-workers? Okay. Anybody in here have uh, unsaved spouse? Or some of us might even have that. How about children? You want to realize exactly how important this book is? This is written to you. It's written to me. It's written to us. Listen up. Look up. Shake up. Shape up. Because we don't know when he's coming back. And when he does, you know what? I really don't want to see anybody have to go through the tribulation. Because that's going to, you think it's tough to be a Christian now? Can you imagine when you'll have to spend your gold to buy a loaf of bread? Can you imagine what it will be like when it will cost you your life, literally? Now, in many parts of the world, that's already true. But here in America, at least tonight, it's not yet necessary that you forfeit your life to follow Jesus. However, it is getting more likely that that may even come here. And I can guarantee you this, when the church is gone, it will be here. Christ is at the center of this book, and as we see him, we're going to see him in his risen glory. We're going to see him directing his church. We're going to see him pouring out his wrath upon the earth. 
We're going to see him coming to the earth again. We're going to see him ruling and we're going to see him reigning. We're going to see him portrayed as the glorious king of the new heaven and the new earth. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You know, these lives that we live are not the end of the story. Amen? Some people always, they'll, they'll ask me, you know, you, you kind of focus a little too much on this whole eternal life thing. Well, duh. It's like, are you that fond of what you got? You know, it's kind of like the, it's kind of the old price is right, you know, or, you know, the, it's like, well, you know, I think, oh, I'm going to trade for that, you know. It's like Wheel of Fortune. Pastor Rob and I are actually addicted to Wheel of Fortune. I've got my spin ID number, the whole thing. Aren't you always amazed at, at the 10, it, for those of you that watch on a regular basis, just saying, the $10,000 wedge, and the guy's already got 9254 bucks. Well, do you want to trade that for a chance at 10000 Uh-huh. <laughs> what are you doing? You, you see, we're, it's just like we're going to live forever like this. And you know, well, oh, well, I'll just take a chance. You know what? We need to take holy chances. We need to realize that one day it's going to be our last day. Amen? I'm kind of looking forward to that day, by the way. You see, too many people do not live with eternity in view. Too many people live as they're going to live forever here. You're going to live forever. The question is, where? Amen? That's the question. Two roads? Amen? Two destinations? Amen? Saints or ain'ts? Amen? In, out, sheep, goats, you get the picture. You're going to live forever. The question is where? This book makes a great differentiation between those two places. It's a book of challenge. There's some key words in this book, uh, and it opens with, I am coming soon in verse 7. Do you believe that tonight, church? Do you believe that Jesus is coming soon? Amen. Church, we need to live that way. Jesus is coming soon. You know, some of us have been around. I was, I was talking with Mama Gail last, yesterday a little bit, and we were talking about the old days, the old Maranatha days. And see, growing up in the Baptist church, we snuck away to Calvary Chapel things because we were absolutely convinced that all Calvary chapels actually did communion with, with like, Coke and potato chips and, and, you know, there was just weirdness that happened at all Calvary Chapel churches. I'm, Kevin's over here. He's like, yeah. Nazarene church, same way. We're, we're, we were all, you know, we're all in this, in, this, in this time. But even back then, it was like I had, like, I found it bumper stickers. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You know, did anybody else have that one? You know, I had a T-shirt that actually showed just a pair of tennis shoes with like a little smoke cloud on them, you know, nobody in them. Had all those things that everybody was talking about. We're like, man, you know, Jesus is coming back today. That was almost 45 years ago. It's like you're sitting there going, wow, soon. Well, compared to eternity, that's pretty short. Jesus is coming soon. He's still coming soon. He was coming soon to the disciples, 
and he is coming soon to us. And in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be gone. Amen? Amen? And that's why this little mini outline that we're going to see when we get to verse 19 is so important. And it says there in verse 19, we'll cover it in more depth when we get there, but write the things which you have seen. So there's a little three-part outline here, very simple to follow. Write the things which are, those things which you absolutely, you could have seen in the past, those things which are, things that are happening right now, and those things which will take place after this. So what you've already seen, what's taken place right now, and what will happen after this. And so in that broad swath, it is the past, the present, and the future. Amen? Do you see it? Need to see it. Because there are things that they would have understood as being, hey, this is happening now. There are things that are absolutely in front of them that they were facing immediately. And there are things that to even us are still yet future. Gives us an understanding of what to look for as we interpret this book. You see, biblical interpretation is one of those things that uh, I think very often people don't really come to terms with until they're much older in their life. We just kind of look at, you know, well, like every Bible is good. You know, they get out their new century version, which is, by the, by the way, from Jehovah's Witnesses and its faults. It's like, oh, it's a Bible. You, you see, proper interpretation is absolutely essential if you want to have proper application. When we teach inductive Bible study method, we start with observation. We read it. We then interpret it. The Holy Spirit meant to say exactly one thing. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit is trying to communicate something when the Holy Spirit authors Scripture. And then the way that gets applied is what can be bent into your time. You see, it says what it says. We observe it. We then interpret it. We understand what it is that we just read. And then we apply it. And as we apply it, it is the application that spans time. It was true then. It was true shortly after that. And it's still true today. And we'll see that. Because there's persecuted Christians then. Persecuted Christians a little bit later. And there are definitely persecuted Christians today. Very simple to understand once you get the process down. And so as we move forward in our study of this book, you're going to see this over and over again. Oh, that was the Church of the Reformation. It makes sense now. That's that papal church. And again, I'm not speaking specifically the Catholic church. I'm talking about the papal church in the Middle Ages, which, by the way, is one of the, some of the most evil people that ever lived on the face of the earth, claimed to be Christians. Claimed to be Christians. And yet they were not only not Christians, they were actually of the synagogue of Satan. God's mission, God's objectives, very much alive, very much well in our day and time. And wherever God's people are, and I mean God's people, the church. Did you know that this is not the church? Amen? This is part of the church. Actually, you are the church. Everyone who names the name of Christ, who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is part of what we would call the universal church, the church that is the church of God. And so these truths apply to the church. 
throughout time. doesn't matter what period. And it is about that church that Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, And I say to you, Peter, that upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. The fact that we're sitting here tonight, given what has transpired over the last 2,000 years, is proof that the gates of hell have not prevailed against the church. Amen? Amen? Well, Brother Chet's here. He's been, he's been in Iran. When you talk about Christians that are persecuted, when you, when you talk about a country where you cannot speak the name of Jesus publicly in the streets without being picked up by the Al-Quds force, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that is founded on Jesus Christ. And because that is true, what we look forward to as not having happened yet becomes very, very truthful to us. Much of the book of Revelation is history spoken in advance. Isn't that crazy? You got any idea who might be able to author something like that? It's, it's not Maury Povich. It's not Oprah. You know, it's not some clairvoyant. It isn't Madame Cleo. You know, dial her up and get a psychic reading. It's God himself authors history in advance because he authors all history in advance. Amen? Your days were seen before you were seen. That's what your Bible says about you. He knew you before you were born. He has also consequently known everyone before they were born. He has known the entire history of everyone who's ever lived and will ever live. And so when he writes about what's going to happen, 100% accuracy. There are several things that are introduced here in this victorious way that this is written. It reveals a lot about our future. It reveals some things about our past. But as you read through it, there are historical events that are covered here, but it's not the history of the world. Some people look at it, well, you know, they left out this. Because God's not trying to communicate everything in the book of Revelation. He is trying to communicate sufficiently that we grasp the message. Amen? Very important to understand these basic truths. Going forward, if we get these things now, then when we look at the tidbits and the details, we'll understand that God is trying to give us enough understanding that no group of people from John's time to our time, well into the future, should the Lord tarry another week, every one of us can say the same thing about this book. It was relevant before. It's relevant today. It will be relevant until the Lord comes. As you see that in play in what is written in this book, all of a sudden you start looking for it. It's like, man, when's that going to happen? When's this going to occur? What's going on? People who have no understanding of what's going on in the world right now can read this book, and as you explain it to them, you want some wonderful conversation starters at the lunch table at your place of business? Talk to them about what's going on in the Middle East and let them know that you know the end of the story. Just tell them. So I've already read the end of it. They'll look at you like you're really weird. And then you pull out your Bible. 
and you start to show them the book of Revelation. Then you go to the book of Joel. Did you know this little book of Joel in here? Look what it says. It says, I will bring them down together in the valley of Armageddon, and there I will judge them according to what they have done to my nation, to my land, to my people, Israel. You see, all of a sudden, this kind of strange book of Revelation pops right into the forefront of people's thinking. They're going, really? It says that? Yep. Great conversation starter for you to tell them about your relationship with Jesus. We're going to see all kinds of symbols. And those symbols uh, begin to give us a picture of why God uh, was describing these things this way. And it's, it's actually quite simple. You, you see, symbols transcend time. Symbols transcend time. Let me, let me show you how that works. All of you understand the word bomb, amen? You got it? During World War II, that's what we dropped on the Nazis. Bombs. Today, it means really awesome. That was the bomb, man. No! No bombing here. Don't ever say bomb when you go to the airport. It means something else there. You tell your kids, oh, dad, that was the bomb. I'm going, whew, glad I missed it. You see, words don't necessarily carry the same meaning over time. But symbols can be interpreted in the day and time with the exact meaning because it is the Holy Spirit that speaks those things to us so that it transcends time. So if I talk to you about helicopters in the first century A.D., like these whirling beasts that are going to be uh, in the battle of Armageddon, you'd be going, yeah, you're nuts, you're out of your mind. So if I'd have used the word helicopter then, or if I'd have used, well, they're going to have these gigantic bombs called nuclear weapons, and they're going to scorch the earth, you'd be going, no, you're, yeah, the Romans do not have those. <laughs> so symbols are very valuable for us to be able to go from one time period to another, and then the Holy Spirit interprets those. Much of what we see in the book of Revelation is actually interpreted for us. We're going to see that in the very next study, because we're going to see how the Lord actually gives us some of the pieces ahead of time. We're going to find out what the candlestick is, and we're going to find out what the stars are, because he tells us. He gives us some clues, helps us understand those things. You see, Rome was the great world power at that day and time. And if Rome could have wiped out the Christians, they would have. If Rome had the capacity to take this book, and instead of it being in symbols, but being in words, and then alter those words so that the meaning is lost, they would have done that. And so in this way, they thought the first century Christians were, guess what? Wacko. Oh, let them keep that. They're talking about sun and moon and stars and woman riding on a beast, and who cares? You see, they didn't see it as a threat. To them, when they looked at it, they're going, look, these Christians, they, got, they think this is right. And so they're going, let them have it. We don't care. If it had said that there would be the downfall of the Roman Empire... Guess what they would have done? Well, we're just going to kill you. 
You see, so God was very wise in writing in symbols because it still exists today and it still has the meaning intended today. It gives us this beautiful proof of its uh, relative nature to the time in which it's being read, not the time that it's being written. You see, it has to be relevant in the time read, amen? That's why when we say scripture is truth, scripture says that about itself, amen? Thy word, O God, is truth, amen? You see, the Bible is true. And God did a marvelous job of protecting uh, this particular revelation and these symbols that uh, would never really change. They would be understood in each period of time, each period of the history of the world. I also need to remind you that the book of Revelation is not a novel. You, you can't just begin the beginning and read it to the end and go, well, that's nice. You know, it, it's not like the, the twin, you know, the, the Tolkien uh, trilogies. You know, it's not the Lord of the Rings thing. You know, pretty soon, you know, Aomir and Baomir and Mirohu and all, they all get together and somebody has a sword and, somebody, and then at the end, Frodo wins. It's not like that, other than the fact at the end, our king comes. Amen? It's not just a series of stories to be read. It is a life that's being lived out in the church. It's a time span of the entire Christian era in that sense. And so it began in AD 33. It will continue all the way into what is still today future for us. And I can't wait to get to the end of that particular story, personally. You can also see that the, the facts that are in this are, are not an unabridged history book, but they're actually the political and the religious events that are necessary for us to understand enough to know where we are in the period of time. And so when I look at the world and I, I take out my book and I go, wow, are you kidding me? Because there's a whole lot of things written in here. It's like, man, the church was kind of lame at times. Has the church ever been lame? Spanish Inquisition. Amen? Pretty lame. Crusades? Really lame. Nobody's ever going to be committing their life to Jesus Christ when you're threatening to kill them. doesn't happen. Why? Because Scripture says so. It is, in fact, your loving kindness, O God, that draws men to repentance. Amen? It's not force, because God could force us to be holy, couldn't he? He could just simply say, look, you're being holy, period. No questions asked. It's kind of like when we raise our kids. You will do this. And if you don't do this, the beatings will commence. And they will stay ongoing until the morale improves. You ever notice how morale doesn't improve when you beat kids? Just saying. It's kind of self-defeating. And so in this sense, as you look at these things, it's just the necessary parts of the picture. It shows that there's no political force, there's no religious force, there's nothing that can destroy the church of God. Nothing, folks. Amen? Amen. You don't have to worry about it, because Jesus said the church is going to make it. And he said that he is faithful to complete what he started until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Do you believe him? Because if you do, you're more than the conqueror through him who loves you. Amen? We need to remember these things. 
We need to live these things. The true church of God is made up of all of those who name the name of the Lord and, and truly understand what that means. There are an awful lot of people who say, Lord, Lord, and yet Jesus will say of them, depart, for I have never known you. There are an awful lot of people on this earth right now that are like that. There are a ton of people. And you can spot them because Jesus told us how. By their fruit you shall know them. You can look at their life. You see, people very often use the Bible to defend their, their various wayward points of view. And it's actually fairly simple to do. It's why cults thrive, actually. When you look at many cults, their, their source of their cultish belief is actually misinterpretation of Scripture based on one person's idea on what it says normally. That's how they start. That's how Mormonism started. That's how Seventh-day Adventism started. That's how the Jehovah's Witnesses started. Those cults all started, and yes, I'm calling the Mormon church a cult. It is a cult. Until they renounce Joseph Smith, renounce the Book of Mormon, they are a cult. A lot of really nice people, but the really nice people are perishing because they have the wrong Jesus. Amen? Don't buy into the cultural uh, mores of our day that say you just accept everybody on face value. By their fruit, you shall know them. That doesn't mean you should become combative. It means that you know the truth, and the truth sets you free. Amen? You see what? Yes. Amen. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for truth. We're here to study truth. We're here to actually look at the Word of God and believe it for what it says, not concoct what we want it to say. You know, there's plenty of verses in the Bible that you can come up with some pretty crazy things. I had this stoner dude come up to me and actually tell me that it was okay to smoke dope. He's like, yeah, man, like, I smoke blunts every day. You know, I'm like, dude, what is wrong? And you claim to be a Christian. Said, yeah, did you read Genesis? I said, yeah, sure, I've read Genesis. Well, God's given us every green herb, man. Yeah, and he also said, do not be drunk, which leads unto dissipation. You see, if you add the other part of the truth to that, it's like, oh, well, not that herb. He didn't tell you to become a stoner. He didn't tell you to open up a dispensary. I actually had a guy tell me, yeah, well, God told me to open up a dispensary. I don't know what God that was, but it's not Jehovah. It's not Yahweh, Lord of hosts. That was not him speaking to you. That was the God of this age. That's who was speaking to you. The one who tolerates everything. You you see, this is an intolerant book. Because it calls sin, sin. It nails us right between the eyes. And I'm thankful for it. Because I figure out how to get away from those things, usually. I'm sure some of you do too. Very remarkable when we actually look at it. God is our Redeemer, amen? But He's also our Savior and He's our friend. He's our ever present help in a time of trouble, He's our counselor. He is mighty God. And you see, as we put all these things together and then. 
we begin to read the book of Revelation. There's a reason that the book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Because if you're not walking in grace, you shouldn't read it. I actually had a young man tell me he was really struggling. Matter of fact, I believe that, honestly, he, he was probably demon-oppressed at least, if not possibly even possessed. And he said, I've been reading the book of Revelation. It just made me crazy. I said, yeah, because it needs to be understood by the Spirit. And unless the Spirit dwells in you, then you will not know the truth. Because Paul was right. Spiritual things are spiritually appraised. The, the carnal mind cannot know them. As we unwrap this book, John chapter 8 just comes to mind in such a huge way. And Jesus uh, speaking to those who believed in him. He was talking to believers. He was not talking about unbelievers. He was talking to believers. He said to them, if you abide in my word. Amen? If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. You know what that means? It means to camp out, make home in, live in, dwell in, be in the presence of, not just every once in a while pull it out, blow the dust off when you've done something and you think you need a little touch from Jesus. It means to make life of the word of God. That's what we're here to do. As we do that, you shall know the truth, and it is the fact that the truth is truth, that the truth sets you free. Lies will not set you free. They'll put you in bondage. That's why when you talk to people who don't know the real Jesus, there's always bondage that goes with it. They're not free. They're in bondage. As we begin in earnest next week, in this amazing book. We're going to see that as we read the Old Testament, we, we read of the curse, amen? The, the beginnings of mankind on this earth are, shall we say, not all that wonderful. Amen? I mean, I don't, I don't know what you've ever thought about Adam and Eve, but I, I, I've had, well, I've had to repent of some of the things I've thought about poor old Adam and poor old Eve. Matter of fact, I've wanted to, I've wanted to, sla- I've wanted to slap them. <laughs> I've often thought, what I'm going to say when I see them in heaven? You. All those years. But because of one man's sin, Adam, death entered into the world. Everyone who's ever died owes that initial sin nature to Adam. Now, we will have carried it out ourselves. We will have engaged in the behaviors that proved it. But they actually were born as eternal beings with the capacity to never sin. And so what does God do but put one lousy, stinking tree in the middle of the garden. There's a hundred billion trillion trees in the Garden of Eden. And there's one. Don't eat of that one. And so what does Adam do? The same thing you would have done, same thing I would have done. Honey, did you see the fruit on that thing? 
We'll just go at night. Nobody will see us. And from there to us. You see, the book of Revelation actually fixes what Adam and Eve messed up. And it's a beautiful picture. Because the first creation is going to pass away. And behold, all things will be new. Amen? Going to get a new creation. I I can't wait, because we've kind of messed this one up. Amen? We really have. We now have nighttime. You realize that the Lord Jesus is going to light the new heaven, the new earth? There's going to be no nighttime. So all those people that do all those weird things at night, they're not going to have any nighttime to do it in. There will be no disco balls in heaven. Hallelujah. If anyone tells you they have pictures of me in platform heels and bell-bottom pants, just say no. The sun, the moon, the stars are provided for us for light, and the Lord himself is going to light up our day. We used to have an earthly paradise. There's going to be a heavenly paradise right here on earth. Those things are all reversed in the book of Revelation. Where there was a curse, there'll be no sorrow, no suffering. The lamb will lie down with the lion. The child will stick its hand into a cobra's hole and won't get bitten. We're going to go from paradise lost to paradise found. Amen? That is the story. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants these things which must shortly take place and he sent and he signified by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw blessed is he who reads to those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep these things which are written in it for time is near next week we'll take those three verses Get ready, because it's going to be an awesome time in God's Word. Amen? Amen. Invite your friends out. This is a great study to bring those who do not know the Lord out to, because we're going to rock their world. We're going to say some things that they're going to go, I didn't know that was there. Are you kidding me? Bring your friends out that don't know the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful as your people that in fact you did author history in advance. You told us what these days would look like. You inscribed them in your word by your spirit. Lord, as you spoke these things through that angel to the Apostle John as he wrote them down. Lord, we are privileged to sit here and to be able to read them in our own language. Lord, we thank you for those who have been faithful to preserve your word. Lord, we thank you for those clay jars yielding up, Lord, the fragments of the Old Testament that bear witness to the prophetic word. Lord, spoken even by the Old Testament saints. God, you have been so good to us, and we pray that we would hunger and that we would thirst for righteousness. 
God, that you would minister to us your truth, Lord, because we drew to uh, tonight just do believe that your truth will set us free. And so, God, we commit our way unto you. We pray that you'd fill us with your spirit afresh and anew, that you would breathe on us life, Lord, uh, in this place. Would you make us vibrant for your kingdom? Lord, I want to pray tonight, if there's anybody here, God, that you may have spoken to them that these things are true. God, your word plainly declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we simply ask by your spirit that you would convince and convict that there would be repentance of sin, that that invitation that you, Jesus, make in chapter 3, that that door is uh, able to be opened, Lord, that you stand and knock. And if we'll simply open it, you will come in and stop. Lord, you with us. Lord, that we can be your children by faith. Lord, we know that you have a perfect plan and purpose for each of us. Pray that we'd fulfill that with the remainder of this week. Lord, bring us together again on your day, the Lord's day, Lord. And until that time, may we be found busy about our Father's business. It's in the blessed name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, our King, our Messiah, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen.